Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sound of Play 48. Sound of Play is a music podcast where every Wednesday we bring our favourite and your favourite pieces of video game music um, that we've all enjoyed over the decades, uh, just like the piece you just heard. Um, joining me, Joshua Garrity, in this uh, Sound of Play is James Carter. Hello there, James. Hello, how are you? Hi, I'm very, very good. So... The piece that we uh, just listened to was from uh, Sean S. Thomas, uh, a member of the Cane and Rinse community, and it was the main theme from Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, um, and it was composed by Naoto Kubo and Mahito Yokota. Um, so this is what Sean has to say about the track we just heard. Um, I'm playing Treasure Tracker at the moment, and it's a lovely little diversion. One thing Nintendo have always excelled at is making music that suits their character's personality. The theme to Treasure Tracker is another great example. On the one hand, grandiose and rousing. On the other, <clears throat> on the other cute and inconsequential. Um, James, have you had a chance to play this uh, this game by any chance? Uh, yeah, I did. It was weirdly released, wasn't it? Because you could buy it on the eShop in December 2014, but it didn't yeah. actually come out on disc until January 2015. So uh, it ended up being amongst my favourite games of 2015, which was when I played it. Um, mm. I, I very kindly received a copy as a as a birthday present, uh, just sort of as it came out, basically. Um, yeah. 
I it's it's a it's a game that I've been meaning to get to because mm. I really did love the um the toad sections of uh, Super Mario 3D World. I, yeah. I actually yeah. think they were a great little addition mm. and uh, broke up the the more uh, demanding platforming of the main game really well. So yeah, I'll have yeah, to check absolutely. it out at some point. I, I, I think people were kind of skeptical and, and possibly rightly so of how a little sort of what was essentially a mini game throughout mm. 3D World could be turned into a game of its own. But I think Sean summed it up quite perfectly there. Um, it is a lovely little diversion. And the music from it, having just listened to that again, it's it's kind of the perfect intro to, to Sound of Play. It's just whimsical and lovely and, you know, simple, but not in any kind of bad way, just, you know, very Nintendo. Right. Okay, James, I'm going to hand it over to you as uh, you've got our next track. Um, Take it away. Speaking of uh, whimsical, yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, This is the Max Payne theme by Kartsi Hataka and Kimmo Kajasto or Kajasto. Apologies, pronunciation throughout this, I think, is going to be a a constant apology that we need to make. Those two composers actually wrote the Max Payne theme for the first game, Uh, but the second time around, they re-recorded, and it sounds quite different, I think. Um, So the first time around, it was uh, the the main um, melody, if you like, was played on on piano, much as it is in Max Payne 3, when you can walk up to pianos and just sort of tinkle out the the opening sort or the main bar of of music that you you know the recognizable uh, part of that that tune but for the second game um they they replaced the the piano with string instruments and it gives it a really somber feel um to this and just really beautifully matches the just melancholic tone of the Max Payne games um it it does also give it a there's a kind of more orchestral sound to the uh, to, to this version of it, um, which just makes it sound a bit sort of bolder and and bigger, much like the game kind of polished off the rough, rough edges from the first, and uh, is my preferred of the uh, of the first two Remedy Entertainment Max Payne games. Um, it's worth saying that we covered Max Payne and Max Payne Two in Volume One, Issue One Hundred and Forty Six. Uh, no issue 46 of the Kane and Rinse podcast, uh, and Max Payne 3 was volume 4, issue 174. Um, those games I'm a, a big fan of, despite recognising their difficult aspects and, and you know unsuccessful aspects. Um, but I love the fact that in, in the Max Payne theme, you can hear, uh, much more subtle in this uh, Max Payne 2 version, a heartbeat just running underneath the um, the rest of the music, and it just speaks to that character as just a force of nature. I think it speaks to his relentlessness, if you like, in the face of all of the adversity that he faces. Um, and uh, this track has, I think, a fantastic building sense of dread running throughout it. Um, I, I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. It's uh, an absolute favourite of mine. This is Max Payne theme from Max Payne 2 by Kartsi Hataka and Kimmo Kajasto.
that's a great piece of music there. And uh, from one angry man to another angry man. Um, so my uh, piece, my selection is next. Um, and this is a track from God of War 2. Um, it's the main titles uh, composed by Gerard K. Marino. Um, yes, God of War uh, 2 came out in 2007, which was... Uh, a really, really good year for video games, in in my opinion. Um, a lot of uh, we were starting to see kind of the beginnings of uh, the uh, current generation that was coming out then, uh, the Wii and the 360 and the PS3. So we had stuff like Bioshock and uh, Super Mario Galaxy and Mass Effect all coming out that year, as along with Portal and the Orange Box. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think there were a couple of um, PS2 gems, kind of right at the end of the PS2's life cycle that I really have fond memories for. Um, I, I'm probably forgetting a few, but the two that stand out for me the most are uh, God of War 2 and uh, Final Fantasy 12. And um, yeah, I I really like these these the the first two God of War games. Um, I I do. I acknowledge the, the uh, problematic nature of some of the content in those games. Um, I, w- I would make the argument that I think the P- PS3 games actually took it to a level that was a bit too extreme even for me. I think the aesthetic of the, the PS2 era lent the the first two games a kind of cartoonish, kind of over-the-top quality. Mm that uh, made the violence a little less unsettling. And then the moment the HD era reared <laughs> its head, um, suddenly uh, Kratos' antics went from over-the-top and ridiculous to genuinely horrifying um, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but I, I think also um, these first two games kind of understood um, the appeal of Greek mythology in that it was kind of just a simple story, a simple adventure story, one filled with violence and revenge and and all these over dramatic things, but it it kept things simple the The narrative of the first game is just a guy seeking revenge for his family, and then uh, the sec- this second game is Kratos going after Zeus for taking away his uh, position as a god and then going on an epic quest to uh, find a way of reversing those events, and I I think it just it God of War Two is such a great tour of Greek mythology, and when you're you know seventeen year seventeen years old as I was at the time, this kind of over the top bomba- uh, bombastic adventure is kind of just what you're after, and I think the music for all of these games, even the games that I'm less fond of, has been generally really, really of a high standard. Um, I think the main titles here give you a great kind of overview of, of what the what the music is like in the game. It's big, it's, it's epic, it's angry, it's passionate, but it's I, I think it's really well put together. It's not, it doesn't feel forced. It's, uh, I think it's a I think just generally this music is 
um, a great reflection of the tone they were trying to go for. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I, and I'm sure you know I've heard complaints that the God of War soundtrack is so big and so over the top that at certain points it distracts from <laughs> what's going on on the screen, and I totally understand that. But for what I was after at that age and at that time, I think it's just it's such. It's such a perfect teenage boy video game and soundtrack. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I, yeah, I still have really fond uh, memories of God of War 2. So here it is, uh, the God of War 2 main titles. Um, James, you recently attempted to play these uh, these original God of War games. Uh, I, I did, believe yeah. that was inspired by uh, Sony's press com- uh, press conference recently. Yeah, I've been kind of uh, catching up on a lot of my uh, ridiculously large backlog, um, and having seen the trailer for God of War and hearing a lot of the kind of buzz of people who got um, a sort of uh, first 
not hands-on, but a, a demo uh, there from, from Corey Barlog playing the game. Um, I just thought, you know what, I've got, I think, five of these games via either PS Plus or picking them up in, in PlayStation sales. Um, so I thought, yeah, I would, I would give them a try. And certainly they are games of their era in terms of the way they mechanically play and and that didn't necessarily bother me so much. The Hydra fight at the beginning of the first game, um, for for example, was a little mechanically clunky. I kept getting knocked off the top, and I didn't necessarily feel like it was my fault. But the thing that did bother me more was, yeah, that kind of tonal aspect that I think, had I been playing these when they came out, I would have been more accepting of both being younger at the time, in my early 20s, um, and also the place video games were then and I, I totally get what you mean by um you know by the time god of war 3 came out maybe we'd moved on from that sort of level of um violence and kind of goes without saying there's need to in there as well um just as being there for its own sake uh, or it feels like i had at least i don't know whether video games ever really fully moved away from that but um yeah it was just a little bit disconcerting i got about an hour into the beginning of both god of war god of war 2 and ascension and just kind of thought you know what this is i'm just not feeling it at all and rather than kind of batter my head through um and admittedly good games that i'm just not feeling i thought you know you know what i've kind of got a feel for what this is and it's maybe just not for me unfortunately fair enough Okay, um, that brings us on to another community uh, selection. Um, this one is from Scrussel. Um, the track is uh, Stasis Awakening by Disasterpiece, and the game is Hyperlight Drifter. Uh, this is what Scrussel has to say. Hyperlight Drifter is a game dripping in atmosphere, thanks in large part to the work of Disasterpiece. Much like with his work on Fez, his music fills the game with an eerie and wistful tone, but this time around in a way that is immensely imposing and foreboding. Stasis Awakening in particular is one of the best songs on the soundtrack to exemplify this, with its booming resonance and deep droning synthesizers.
So I I played Hyperlight Drifter uh, earlier this year. I don't mm. know if you did as well, James. Um, uh, I haven't. It's um it's one that I've picked up in the Steam Summer Sale as we're recording this. Yeah. To, to kind of date the podcast. Um, I I, I didn't finish it. Um, mm. because of complaints that a lot of people had with it in mm. that the um the difficulty curve wasn't really um in my opinion wasn't particularly well judged and um a lot of the challenge felt uh it just felt too sadistic at points in the mm. game in ways that you know i i really like challenging games but you know there's a line and i felt like hyperlight mm. drifter more often than not uh, more often than not uh, crossed that line um, I know the game's been updated recently, um, and yeah, I think that's um, been eased somewhat. Yeah, I believe Heart Machine has made some adjustments to make it a little mm. more approachable. So I might go back to it one day because I have to say, like the the one thing that does stay with you with Hyper Light Drifter is the the general aesthetic, like mm. the art direction and and the music as Scrussell has brought to our brought to our attention is just phenomenal like i think it's just a beautiful game to behold i just didn't find it to be a particularly <laughs> fun game to play um that might have changed now so i i i will revisit it at some point but it's um, um it's funny isn't it um th- this will be coming out at a not um not unsimilar time to the Canaan Rinse on Ori and the Blind, Blind Forest and that was Another game that, when people saw it, made certain assumptions about the aesthetic and and the um, the way the game came across, and those assumptions didn't include how hard the game might actually be. I think yeah. I think it's fair to say I, I got similar feelings hearing people who picked up Hyperlight Drifter when it first came out um, mm. to what I'd heard about Ori in the Blind Forest, um, and that's that's not a criticism of games that you know. Uh, bring an aesthetic and not necessarily difficult or challenging gameplay. Uh, and equally well, it's not a criticism of the games being tough. I think it's just we sometimes, sometimes Absolutely. you know, aesthetic is is the draw to the game, and the gameplay is is not necessarily you know it, it, the gameplay is equally inviting. I guess in terms of mm-hmm. not being difficult, but interesting that this struggled somewhat in that respect. Okay, um, James, you have another track for us. I do indeed. I do. Um, I'm I'm rolling back to kind of early to mid 2000s with my my selections um, for this particular show, and another uh, another series that I particularly think of as kind of quintessentially me in the early to mid 2000s um, comes from Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, which is a game that we previously covered on on Kane and Rince. That was Volume Two, Issue Ninety Five. We kind of did a summary of the series up to that point and talked an awful lot about Chaos Theory, um, which is one of my favourite games, certainly within the stealth genre, but just overall I think it's a fantastic game. Um, So please check that out if you'd like to hear more of my thoughts on the game. In terms of the music, uh, what's notable about this is that Amon Tobin, who is a pretty to incredibly well-known trip-hop and electronica uh, Brazilian musician, um, recorded an entire album. And essentially, his fifth studio album was recorded for this game. Um, and although the, the tracks are kind of layered and remixed and extended in the game to form the basis of the, the music that's playing throughout the gameplay, um, 
it holds together as an incredibly um, memorable and, and fantastic album in its own right for me. There's so Amon Tobin, uh, as I said, kind of electronica trip hop type work, but he does a lot of work with uh, various instrumental ambient types of music uh, and also layering in kind of almost drum and bass style drum beats onto that. Uh, and it, it really appeals to me, I've got to say, um, in terms of just a, a layering of almost different musical styles that kind of come together in, in that way. Um, on the album, there are various tracks that kind of redux one another or you know, there's a track that's the stealth version and then one that's a combat version that use similar motifs and um, instrumentation to kind of different effects. Maybe the stealth pieces will be more low-key, more uh, slow-paced, and in some ways more, um, not intense, but kind of heightened in terms of bringing the, the instruments that are used to the fore. And then for... The combat pieces, in in other words, once you've been spotted, as it were, being a stealth game, they bring in the drums and it becomes more frantic, more more cacophonous, less structured almost, um, which is uh, which is something that actually in this track happens within its five minute entirety, almost exactly at the halfway point, it switches from the established stealth or you know. Uh, non-alert phase type music and then the drums start coming in and it changes and for some people i imagine the second half of this track's going to actually be quite difficult to listen to because it sounds um so frantic and uh, cacophonous almost um but for me it's something that exemplifies not just amon tobin's incredible music but also it's just completely tied to my memories of of this game and the amazing time I had I had playing it. Um, so I'll I'll shut up now and say this is Amon Tobin with the Lighthouse from Splinter Cell: Chaos Theory.
That was The Lighthouse by Amon Tobin. Um, I uh, unfortunately haven't finished uh, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, but mm. I have played the first, I think, three or four missions several times. Yeah. Um, it, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I think um, Chaos Theory is a fantastic game um, based on what I've played. But it is quite intimidating in yeah. terms of the amount of uh, system. So it was it was more just, um, you know, you have to with stealth games, um, especially. I think you kind of get, have to get into this headspace of being okay with failure and yeah. trying things yeah. again. And I think Chaos Theory de- definitely comes from that era of stealth mm-hmm. game where you're kind of encouraged to restart a level. And yeah. try again, yeah. and and retry and retry. Um, I think the Hitman games, and and in fact the the most recent Hitman seems to be of that ilk as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and and I think that is great, uh, and I and I loved what I played of it. But after a while, I I think I got a bit frustrated with yeah. the guards just spotting me and immediately killing me. Um, one <laughs> yeah. of the um, yeah. um, innovations in Metal Gear Solid Five that I really loved was that um, uh, slow down in time when guards spot you. Mm. And I, I honestly think that's something that all three uh, three D stealth games should really consider yeah. putting in yeah. because it just gives you that little amount of time to kind of quell a problem before it gets out of hand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th- that's not to take anything away from Chaos Theory. I think in my um, as I've grown older, I've become less and less patient as a, a video yeah. game player, yeah. and uh, stuff like Mark of the Ninja has really spoiled me in terms mm. of stealth design. I, I think it's fair to say that as as games have gotten older, they've become less patient with that type of stealth game, that Hitman Splinter Cell era, mm. you know, two thousand to kind of two thousand and five era. Um, of of doing things, um, and I think that's probably for the best. What you hit on there, I think, is is perfect. In in Metal Gear Solid Five, that slowdown, what it does, obviously, it's not a realistic situation. But what it does is, it kind of makes up for the fact that you don't have all of your peripheral senses that you would have, and so it accepts that you're infiltrating a base where you kind of know where the guards are and the guards do not know you are there. So you always have the element of surprise and giving you that extra couple of seconds to respond is the game's kind of concession towards doing that. Much like I kind of feel stealth tends to work better in third person than first, because in first person often you have a very closed field of vision that doesn't allow the senses you would be using if you were physically infiltrating a base, hypothetically. to kind of make up for not being able to see behind you because you'd be able to hear behind you. You'd get that sense of someone being there, et cetera. Um, and being in third person just kind of pulls the camera back and kind of does that. And so, um, yeah, I'll freely admit that going back to Splinter Cell of that era now is not an easy thing. And it, those games have kind of been surpassed in, in many ways. But they started doing a lot of that stuff that then, along with Metal Gear Solid, that then became kind of modern day stealth um so yeah right it's my selection next mm. um so uh this is from a a huge favorite of mine um the track is <laughs> called uh lin a targeted redhead it was composed by masakazu sugimori uh and the game is ghost trick phantom detective 
Um, I I adore Ghost yeah. Trick. Um, I you know Ghost Trick is definitely up there, rubbing shoulders with my favorite games of all time. And and uh, the story, I, I you know the story is fantastic. The the art direction is fantastic, but the music is is one of those things that really stayed with me after completing the game. And um, every time I listen to it, I, I get memories of this game, and not just generally, but like specific mm. moments um, in the story, and just specific frames of animation. Even yeah. it's just, um, I think this this soundtrack is uh, is a phenomenal piece of work. This this particular track is associated with the character Lin, um, who is a ace detective. Who has a nasty habit of dying constantly, and you, <laughs> you as the player, have to, uh, you know, go back in time and try and prevent um, what caused her death um, at several points in the game, um, and the comical circumstances um, that caused it. Um, yeah, and I think it's really upbeat. This track, it's really cheerful. Um, and it, it's a great reflection of um, of the character's personality. I think uh, Mazukazu um, does uh, something similar to what Nintendo does with all of his soundtracks in that he can just evoke a character um, instantly with the music he creates. And, and this track does a, a fantastic job of evoking Lin and her personality. So yeah, this is uh, Lynn, a targeted redhead.
one thing I I've always hoped for is a sequel to Ghost Trick, which I yeah. acknowledge that exactly. I'm this will never happen. But I just I I think about the Wii U and what that's capable of, and yeah. um and you know possibly the the NX um, fingers crossed, and I just imagine that that style of game on like a home console with with that dual screen dual screen function, and I do mm. you know inwardly weep a little bit because <laughs> I just I yeah. think there's so much potential here. And you know, it might be that case where a sequel actually kind of fails to capitalize on what's so unique and special about Ghost Trick, the original, but I just I'd love to see someone give it a chance. Yeah, it would be uh, I think it was telling actually that the um the iOS version of this game when I played it it just didn't capture what well, it, it it was the same game, obviously, but that me- that fundamentally mechanical aspect of the DS, where you've got the two screens and two different things going on, or two different types of interaction with them, um, just didn't work nearly as well on a, a handheld for me. So, yeah, it is a little frustrating that now that we've got a 3DS and also um, the Wii U with a dual screen capability, that Capcom haven't seen fit to return to that, but. Um, Capcom, the way Capcom uh, works these days, I think maybe we're just out of luck on it, unfortunately. And our uh, last uh, community uh, contribution. Um, usually, we have the uh, the last uh, community contribution at the end, but you'll find out why uh, later <laughs> on that uh, James is taking uh, taking us out uh, this uh, uh, this uh, edition of uh, Sound of Play. Um, so this uh, track was uh, chosen and composed, in fact, by Matan Zwei. Um, this is a remixed uh, track um, of the Mass Effect uh, soundtrack, uh, specifically the tracks uh, Uncharted Worlds and the music that plays over the squad selection screen. Um, uh, the original track, uh, the original uh, soundtrack for Mass Effect was composed by uh, Sam Hewlett and Jack Wall. Um, so this is what uh, Matt Ernzvai, uh has to say about his uh, his contribution. Um, a couple of years ago, I made a Mass Effect remix, or actually it's a mashup of Mass Effect's uh, Uncharted Worlds and the music from the squad selection screen. I hope you like it, and credits go to Sam Hewlett and Jack Wall. So yeah, here's a uh, remix of the Mass Effect soundtrack. I think it's really fantastic. Um, thank you so much, uh, Matt and Zwei, for, uh, for giving this to us.
so there that yeah so that was the uh mass Effect remix thank you again Matten. um uh james did you get a chance to um see any of the the footage of uh mass Effect, uh on andromeda that came out of e3 <laughs> the the limited footage yeah. that came out of yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i did um yeah, I I did. It's weird. I kind of feel like I've somewhat drifted away from Mass Effect. I'm sure by the time Andromeda comes out and I know more about it, I'll be right back there and and fully uh, invested again. But um, the the first was was always my favorite of that series, mm. um, and I think just after the way the the third game ended, I kind of drifted away from it. But um, mm. how did you feel about it in in particular? I I'm I'm glad that they're kind of taking the approach of this is a new set of characters and a completely different situation Mm. i wouldn't have wanted a continuation of um the story where from where mass effect 3 ended um Mm. and honestly i don't think it would have made sense regardless like the way mass effect 3 ends that's a definitive end to that arc and it was for most of the the character threads as well through that you know you kind of have your moment saying goodbye to those characters yeah and and kind of the, the the concept being a story about exploration rather than kind of taking out a the big bad as it were mm. um, appeals to me because that feels more like the Star Trek kind of ideal where it's it's not about war and conflict it's about a spaceship going out into the unknown and and finding what what there is to find so mm. i i like the game conceptually and i think it's it's very telling that they they actually use the uncharted worlds music in in some of that footage mm-hmm. um trying to evoke that sense of exploration that that music um you know represents so yeah it, um, it, it speaks to the isolation that you would expect to feel with what little we do know about andromeda um you know whenever you were out uh in sort of deep space in in the original trilogy it, it, there is a sense of isolation with, that comes with that exploration i i really loved um this this particular uh mashup or mm. or remix um we've had some in the past uh dark souls music that was um remixes of of some of of that original music and um music using snes chipsets to to recreate or modern day pieces of music um but in this case i I loved the different perspective it gave on that original piece just you know uh picking two pieces of music and putting them together is something i can't even imagine how you go about doing even understanding which two pieces of music to put together Uh, and i thoroughly enjoyed that it's uh, very impressive i thought absolutely Okay, um, so my uh, last pick uh, for the day is um, a track from Soma. So the track is simply called Ending, and it was composed by Miku Tamiya. Um, So Soma has one of my favourite conclusions to any game I've played. I think that that there is valid criticism to level at the game where um some of the mechanics kind of conflict with the the narrative ambitions of the game they kind of have this um you know hide from the monster yeah. um 
mechanic that's similar to uh you know their previous game amnesia the dark descent and some argued that it kind of distracted from um what they were trying to do with the game uh narratively um and i i do get that but i think what what they are trying to do with the game narratively was so so impressive um that any kind of fumbles with the the monster side of the game um really didn't bother me that much um and the way that story wraps up um in soma's final uh, moments just left my jaw on the floor um and um this music that accompanies the ending um um it, it, it accompanies one of the uh, most memorable um, visual uh, pieces in the game. Um, and it, it's a really just haunting moment um, that will just scratch itself into your memory permanently. Um, and, I, and I think the music uh, as well, I just, I permanently, whenever I hear this track, I just immediately, my mind is conjuring images. But not only just, you know, reliving that scene but reliving the the questions the existential questions <laughs> that that scene is asking and uh n- not only of the characters in the moment but of you as a person and how you perceive yourself as a, a living creature um i i don't want to talk too much detail about the ending i really just want people to <laughs> go out and pick up soma in in i don't know if the steam sale yeah it will yeah, be it's a tough actually price, yeah, yeah the steam yeah. sale is still going on as this uh episode first airs yes. um yeah. please go pick up soma and play it even if you have to put it on you know use that mod um that you know makes the monsters easy um please do that because i honestly think the story is strong enough that you could remove that section of the challenge of that section of the game and soma is still a worthwhile experience um i i just bowled over by um mm-hmm by the storytelling on display in in the final moments of the game and the aesthetic and music of the final moments of the game are both just really impressive. So, uh, yes, this is uh, Ending by uh, Miko uh, Tamiya.
Um, James, have have you had a chance to play Soma at all? Uh, again, this is one that actually, uh, in almost entirely thanks to how enthusiastic you've been about it whenever I've heard you speak about it or, or spoken to you about it. Um, it's one that I haven't played, but one that I just I didn't even hesitate to pick up in the Steam sale um, when yeah. when that started on, on Thursday, Friday. Um, I think what struck me about listening to this piece of music was it's almost quintessentially sci-fi. Yeah. Um, in terms of being, uh, you know, very suitable for what we think of as as that kind of genre, um, to the point where I was I was almost going to ask you, this is a horror game, right? Because obviously I know Frictional's previous work, um, but this this music just seemed so perfectly fitted into that sort of niche of sci-fi, and without a hint necessarily of any kind of any of the horror staples that you would expect, you know, the the overtones you would expect from that. Um, but yeah, it seemed like an absolutely wonderful piece of music, and yeah, as I say, in in no small part due to your recommendation, um, I have I have picked that up, uh, and and will be starting it and relishing the prospect, quite frankly, because it sounds uh, right up my street. I really can't wait for the uh, issue of Kane and Rince mm. when we finally cover <laughs> this game, because I think there's a lot to unpack mm. um, with this title. Okay, so that uh, pretty much uh, brings uh, this sound of play to to an end, apart from James's final selection. Um, uh, so, James, could you just tell us um, the reason why you're going last? <laughs> the reason why I'm going last will become uh, entirely self-evident in a, in a second. Um, as it happens, as, as this comes out, we'll be within a couple of weeks of... Um, the anniversary of this game being released at the arcade, which happened on the 18th of July, 2008. So we'll be uh, eight years since that game was first kind of uh, released, albeit it didn't come out at home release until February, 2009. Um, so yeah, the reason I'm going last, I only need to say one word uh, to, to basically make people under, or to have people understand is uh, this track is indestructible or its formal title, the, the next door. Indestructible by nineteen-member Japanese boy band Exile. Um, that's straight off a Wikipedia page, and they haven't all been in the band at the same time. But um, yeah, they're very much a Japanese sort of uh, boy band um, that are incredibly popular. But this track, I'll, I'll I'll take your expertise on this, but it seems to me like sort of almost classic J-pop or J-rock <laughs> video game track, to be honest. Um, yeah. it's it's a very sort of pop poppy song for a series that has kind of lent a lot on rock music or hip hop music, um, for their kind of title screen, uh, opening attract mode uh, music. Um, it reminded me a little bit of the sort of stuff that perhaps you get in DMC with less of a metal edge or more of a pop edge, but uh, I should say Devil May Cry rather than DMC to be to be clear. Just that kind of like slightly, very campy, slightly tongue in cheek um, track, and the reason that it's uh, it's it's being put right here at the end is I, I spoke to Leon about this because obviously we try to avoid licensed music because although we may have an association with a video game, it wasn't necessarily recorded for the video game, um, and in this case, I think we both felt that this is so intrinsically related to. Street Fighter 4 and not necessarily in a good way um, because 
I think it's fair to say this track, when it was first heard and seen in the game, was pretty much universally mocked and disliked by fans of the game across the board. But it has now kind of developed this sort of cult reverence, I guess, is the best way to to think about it. Um, there is a 30-minute version that just keeps looping and looping and looping, uh, but I've opted for uh, a much more uh, <laughs> much more approachable 3 minutes 34 seconds long version um, from the original game. There was a version with Flo Rida in it that was in Super Street Fighter 4 and it was eventually kind of um, replaced by other music in later versions of that game. But because of how annoying some people find this music, I, I requested and Josh kindly agreed that we could put it last so that those of you who want to uh, enjoy every second of this can, but those who really don't appreciate this uh, can can quite happily finish listening to the uh, the podcast a little early. Um, I think that's fair to do. It means that no one's forced to suffer a song they don't enjoy. Right, uh, before we uh, subject you to Indestructible, <laughs> yeah, that's um, fair. <laughs> uh, I will do the final wrap-up. Um, please remember that you can venture over to the Canarins Forum, Twitter feed, and Facebook page to uh, make a track request yourself. Um, we've included some community um, uh, recommendations on uh, on this sound of play and you can get involved too um on the uh twitter um at cane and rinse um please uh include the hashtag hashtag sop um if you're uh, recommending a track selection um please subscribe to sound of play and cane and rinse and uh, leave your itunes reviews and ratings we also have a patreon um or Caden Rinse and Sound of Play. Um, there are no, there's no walled off content, nothing like that. It's just there if you feel like giving something back. Um, we also have a uh, merchandise store on the main Caden Rinse website, CanaanRinse.com, if you want to uh, if you want to get a little something uh, in return for your contribution. Um, so that just leaves me to uh, uh, thank James for joining me, Joshua Garrity. Thank you very much, James. An absolute pleasure, as always. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you again to our community uh, contributors. Um, l- let's let's listen to this then. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it all around me I've been waiting for this moment All my life is my destiny There's a tiny beside of me It's waiting to come out now No matter what, no matter how I know I'll make it through somehow Cause when the road feels so long I'll still be holding on I'm gonna keep on going I know I'll be strong yeah. Indestructible I won't let nobody break me down 
Gonna turn around. I'm ready for the future. Now. 